This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. All right, rock and roll, baby. Breaking Normal podcast. Welcome, Luke Terra. To, oh, like, to the show, and like that was a, that was almost like a cool feedback, <laughs> like DJ style. <laughs> Hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to be here. And um, as mentioned earlier, before we began, you, this is not your first podcast of the day. No, sir. This is podcast number two. I was on the nutrition therapy podcast this morning with the, the director of the Nutrition Therapy Institute, Diane. Wonderful lady. We had a great conversation. Does she live here in Boulder? Uh, she lives down in, in Denver in Arvada. We we met up over Zoom. Okay. Oh, okay. It was on Zoom. Okay, cool. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, what was most memorable about that podcast for you? The, the most memorable thing is that um, the Nutrition Therapy Institute used to be an online learning, or excuse me, it used to be an in-person learning opportunity. They have a beautiful space on Arvada. They renovated this historic building and they made this beautiful kitchen for the students to come and practice nutrition therapy and to cook for each other and, and uh, actually make the food that they're teaching people with. And due to the pandemic, they had to shift and they had to become a completely virtual school. So they have this unused space now, which seems like kind of a loss in a sense, but so many people are interested in learning new things. So many people are focused on health that they've actually seen their enrollment grow. So it's been a double-edged sword for them. Wow. And Arvada, have you heard about these, like that Rocky Mountain Flats uranium mine I thing have. near Candelas? Yeah. So, this is some, by the way, this is some inside talk for people that live in here on the Front Range, but I am curious since I have him here, Luke. Let me tell you a little bit of how I know Luke. Let's just share the beginning of this before we go into that <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, I think for me, Anne Marie. That's correct. Told, told me not only about you, but also told me about Matt Chandler, who I ended up living with for a while. That's right. And you, uh, she connected me with because when I was birthing tribe vitamins, I was going through the labor and the birthing process of tribe vitamins almost a year ago. I, she thought you could be of support somehow. And sure enough, you were already freeze drying elk liver. <laughs> That's right. And um, <laughs> I understand you're an uh, acupuncturist. I am. I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner by trade, acupuncture and herbal medicine, and nutrition. All, all these uh, natural modalities have been my specialty for the last almost 20 years. And you live right down the road in what I think is one of the best neighborhoods in the world. Certainly. Certainly. I'm really fortunate to live in Boulder, not too far from Chautauqua. <laughs> and you have something kind of exciting and new going on. So let's plant that seed real quick. I do. And I might even take some notes. So... Please go ahead. What, what is this new thing you're doing? Oh, you want to talk about that? We're, we're going to talk about Rocky Flats. <laughs> we are. We are. So just to like tell me the name of it, and then uh, now I'll have like a, I've just planted like six or seven seeds that we can uh, chase that chase that trail after yeah. the Rocky Flats conversation. Absolutely, we can nurture those seeds. So my new project is called BlissPractitioners.com, and so really what it is, it's it's a master cannabinoid practitioner training program. And this is an opportunity for clinicians and anyone who works in cannabis and hemp with patients or with clients to maximize their opportunity to help patients with the endocannabinoid system. Because a lot of people have gotten the endocannabinoid system wrong. Almost everybody in the industry has the endocannabinoid system wrong. They don't understand what it really does. 
and I've spent the last five years studying deeply the endocannabinoid system using Chinese medicine, using functional medicine, and my experience as a hemp and cannabis consultant to really develop a, a high-level training that will really help people supercharge their results with patients and, and really increase their bottom line by helping people with intractable medical problems. Using cannabis products? Using cannabis and hemp primarily. However, most people don't know this. There's dozens of other botanicals that interact with the endocannabinoid system. And most people don't know what those plants are, much less how to use them to maximize the functioning of the endocannabinoid system. Wow. So now I think it's pretty obvious to any listener why we have uh, this breaking normal Luke Terra fella here in the living room. <laughs> Not only because of the synchronicity of elk liver. And one last question real quickly before we talk about the Rocky Flats. <laughs> big big buildup here. Um, what, what were you doing freeze drying elk liver? Yeah. So um, I got the freeze dryer through my cannabis and hemp consulting. I was working on a project where I was formulating a skincare project for a, a small startup that was uh, developing skincare things. And we wanted to preserve the nutrients found in, in cannabis flowers or hemp flowers to the maximum ability possible. And I knew from my training that freeze drying gave, gives that opportunity or gives that ability. It preserves the nutrients as close to fresh as any technology out there. And so uh, we bought this freeze dryer. We did a bunch of um, beta testing on it. And then, you know, it was a startup. They really weren't able to get off the ground. So I ended up with the freeze dryer and I ended up with the intellectual property from the, uh, the, the project, which I'm not really that big into skincare, but I know a lot about plants. So that's, that's somewhere in the back. That's not a, the big win was that I got the freeze dryer. And so, you know, having been a practicing nutritionist for 18 years now, I started in 2003. I, I know that the highest nutrient density food available is organs. And my father's an elk hunter. I'm an elk hunter as well, but not nearly as successful as my dad is. And so I happen to have at any one time, probably, you know, five or six elk livers in the freezer. And I wanted to create supplements for my friends and family because I love eating elk liver. I enjoy the, I actually like to eat it raw. That's a, that's a mind bender for your listeners. Um, but not everyone likes to eat it raw. Not everyone can stomach the taste. For a lot of people, it's the texture. I personally don't like the texture of cooked elk liver or any other animal liver for that matter. Something about it just grosses me out, but I, I like it raw. Um, but nobody else that I eat with likes to eat it that way. So I've I, heard a little bit about this. I mean, and, and uh, I kind of, I think I might get it. Um, do, how do you prefer to eat it raw? Like for my, for myself, bison heart, mm. I've had in a variety of forms mm -hmm. and I think I might like it best when it's frozen. Mm. Like, and then before it thaws out fully, I do like sashimi slices yeah. of it. And I'm just like, oh, uh, I could sell best. this like as sashimi for like a hundred dollars. Like, yeah. and, and the customer would be stoked. Absolutely. So how, when you say raw liver, are you just like, just take a bite of the raw liver, you cube it up or what do you, what do, you so, do? So yeah, we have in, in our freezer, we have cubed up raw elk liver and beef liver from grass-fed beef as well. Uh, haven't been fortunate enough to, to uh, acquire a bison yet, but someday maybe. Um, or, you know, the tribe vitamins. Um, my, my partner, my love, Isa, just got some tribe vitamins from Golden Hook. She just bought some. Yeah. Okay. We, okay. I actually just, they, they need a reorder. So mm -hmm. y'all might have contributed to them reordering. Thank mm -hmm. you. You're absolutely welcome. I would love to support that local farm. And yeah. I love tribe vitamins. So yeah, absolutely. Thank y'all. They're the best. Yeah. Golden Hoof. We'll we should talk about the Golden Hoof here yeah, in a bit too. I'll make a note of that as well. So my raw elk liver recipe is really a uh, traditional tartare recipe. So I chop it up really fine 
get it into as small pieces as possible, and then I use some really high-quality salt. I like Icelandic volcanic salt. It's black. It has a lot of carbon in it. And I put some really high-quality extra virgin olive oil. Um, and then just a variety of other spices in it, uh, a little bit of lemon, and mix it up and let it sit for a while to marinate, and then just eat it with a spoon. That sounds like a great recipe right there. It's Thanks for that. I mean, I, fantastic. I'm happy I've had that recorded. <laughs> My pleasure. We could do a cooking hour sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're obviously well versed in a lot. All right. So, all right. On that note, Rocky Flats. What the heck is going on, Rocky, Rocky Flats. Flats? So, um, Rocky Flats during the Cold War was a facility that was. Um, owned by the U.S. government, but operated by a defense subcontractor. And they built nuclear weapons trigger mechanisms there, which is it's the part of the, a nuclear weapon that actually sets off the nuclear chain reaction that creates the whole, you know, the whole you know, uncontrolled, massive release of energy that creates an atomic weapon. And so um, it wasn't a particularly well-run site, and they had lots of leaks they had lots of water leaks with, you know, uranium and plutonium contaminated water. And rumor has it, I think this is actually documented, that the lake that sits below Rocky Flats, called Stanley Lake, is, um, it has a layer of radioactive sediment on the bottom of it because of all of the years of runoff of radioactive water from this site. And uh, it was a site of lots of protests. You know, if you look up Boulder history, there was lots of protests in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s that was protesting the, you know, the nuclear weapons activity at that site. And it was eventually shut down. And they've since uh, begun redeveloping it and rehabilitating the land and uh, cleaning up the radioactive waste, whatever remains. And uh, yeah, that's actually where I go out and buy my firewood. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you buy your firewood from... That space, or what do you mean? Yeah, so the the space now has a bunch of um, it's industrial land. So there's a bunch of different like there's a gravel pit out there on the north end of it that was never part of the nuclear site, and uh, there's also a sawmill out there. And I go out there and buy wood for various wood projects and uh, wood uh, <laughs> firewood. Firewood was my very first um, business as an entrepreneur. Wow, fascinating! With my brother Timothy, who's been on the show a few times. Um, now, but are you concerned about burning that firewood from that site at all? Not at all, because the wood is beetle-killed pine from the Colorado forest. It comes from far away, and they just basically cut it up. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not actually wood. It, it, there's no trees on the site. It's, it's like a big windswept plain. It's one of the windiest places in Colorado. Which is kind of sketchy, potentially, if there is like nuclear leakage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, if there's an accident plume, it's getting blown all the way out to like Arvada and, and all those places. Yeah. I've I've, had, I've heard met some people. They're like very concerned about that. Like like they've told me never to let kids or their dogs like walk those lands. Yeah, I would personally never go to Stanley Lake. There's people that go there water skiing. I was invited to go water skiing there a couple summers ago, and I'm like, nah. It's like I don't think I really want to, you know, be in a so boat that's churning up the sediment. Wow. Um, but they assure, you know, the government assures us that lots of things are safe, Daniel. And, <laughs> and we're told by the authorities that it's safe. Uh, um, <laughs> Trust the science. Well, on that note, I wanted the, the reason that I thought about the firewood thing too, in my, where my family lives, right outside of Athens, Georgia, I guess people are like burning old railroad tiles. Mm. And there's a lot of people concerned about something that's letting off in the air. 
Yeah. And they're like, stop burning. There's like all these signs about stop burning this type of wood. Yeah. So my father is a retired locomotive engineer <laughs> who spent uh, 40 years working on various railroads across the United States. And from that experience, I can tell you that those ties, railroad ties, are soaked with the material so they don't rot. They're basically soaked with diesel fuel. It's, a, it's actually worse than diesel fuel. It's, it's a low-grade diesel that you wouldn't want to actually burn because it's so dirty. It's called creosote. And, uh, and that stuff, when it burns, it's this sooty, nasty smell. I've actually burned a railroad tie before, just not knowing any better. You know, as a kid, we were building a bonfire, and there was some old railroad ties around. I think this must be what happens in Georgia, but maybe <laughs> it continues happens more than once. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't good when you burned that? I mean, it's just really sooty. Okay. It's just dirty okay. smoke. Yeah, we used to throw aerosol cans in fires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever do uh, the flamethrower where you get a, a can of paint, you know, put a lighter in front of it, and make uh, a little blowtorch? A little bit. But <laughs> we were more into, like, the random explosions of these cans until one flew right in my face, and I never did it again. Man, I highly not recommend. I hope it. you were wearing some eye protection. No, no, I just hit the deck perfectly. <laughs> oh, I, I hear your head can move like you, your head has the quick. I don't know if you ever did combat sports or fought or played yeah, baseball. Yeah, like baseball, this was the theory that like the reason. <laughs> Hey, the Braves are in the World Series. <laughs> you watch sports. <laughs> no, I man. just learned about this. I used to watch sports when I played baseball. Baseball was a major part of my life at one point. <laughs> but it was apparently very rare for someone to get hit in the face with a baseball hmm. as a third baseman or a pitcher because the head moves quickest. Yeah, I could see like, that. It, and uh, that, whatever, that can came out of that fire. And I'm, I, I, everything became slow motion. I saw it like... <laughs> burning scalding hot right Whoa. towards my face and you were able to just, just duck like ducked. matrix style and i was just like i'm never doing that again yo you are the chosen one <laughs> never <laughs> never do that <laughs> unless you really know what you're doing no doubt man well i'm glad you're okay that that could have been life-changing yeah that was this really gray age of my life probably between like 16 and 19 when i didn't realize my actions had consequences <laughs> <laughs> a few things happened like that and I flipped my mom's car down the cliff like Whoa. a miniature cliff proving my physics teacher wrong on how fast you could take a curve <laughs> but there yeah that one really hit me the most because mm-hmm. my friends was in the car and everything was fine but I realized <sighs> I realized like my actions have consequences for sure indeed yeah yeah your brain has to develop a little more <laughs> you don't get that full uh, cerebral cortex development to you're like 30 well, and that, you know, that this could be a re- weird loop to that. I think I was like really overdriven on testosterone for maybe, maybe because it was the, like uh, something about that age that because we had three boys there. My parents have three boys here that mm-hmm. are all teenagers and we were crazy. <laughs> I can relate. I mean, another synchronicity, Daniel. I am the oldest of three boys. You're the so oldest. Can, so you're, there's three boys, and you're yep. the oldest. I am the oldest. I didn't even know that until right now. Holy yeah. mackerel! What's the age separation? So there's uh, four years between my next youngest brother Joshua, and then uh, my youngest brother Matthew is seven years younger than I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. How about you? Where Where are you in this? We're all about three and a half years apart. Okay. And I'm yeah. the oldest. Yeah. Oh, awesome. All right. So yeah, when I guess I was like nine, it was like nineteen, sixteen, and thirteen. Mm-hmm. That was dangerous. If, I mean, I remember dangerous. those days. For sure. For sure. For us. Yeah. We got away with it. We're here. We're better yeah. because of it. That's right. 
but there were some metaphorical like casualties to our consciousness, like, <laughs> oh, actions have consequences. And you know, I think that just makes you learn. That makes you grow. You need those growth experiences. I can definitely remember I crashed a few cars and motorcycles in that age from, you know, 15 when I got my driver's license to, you know, 20. That was definitely, and like I said, I wouldn't blame it on testosterone. I think testosterone, it does give us the ability to tolerate risk. And that's a really beautiful thing. But I really think it's more about brain development. And interesting, to tie it back to Chinese medicine, you know, the Taoists that started Chinese medicine, they say that we don't become adults until we're in our late 20s or early 30s. And, and neuroscience tells us the same thing, is that the part of our brain that, like you said, registers consequences, that, that has that, I don't know, there's a name for that brain region that I can't remember at the moment, but it's a, the part of the brain that causes the, the, the conscience not conscious, but conscience. That you're, it's like your moral and ethical center is still developing. And I really do think that it's an anti-fragile thing in that you know, anti-fragile things get better with disorder. They get better when they've had some adversity. You need those kind of things as, an, uh, as a child. You need adversity. <laughs> you know, it makes you a stronger adult. And, you know. I, I, don't, I guess I, I don't think it has to be as dangerous as like flipping a card. Fair. Fair point. I, don't, I do love what you're saying. And I was probably biased. I, I want to make sure we loop into another project since I met you and that you were freeze drying elk liver. And while I was birthing tribe vitamins, we did a prototype batch of uh, freeze drying bison testicles. Oh, man, that was awesome. Yeah, learning experience. We didn't realize how uh, hygrophilic bison testicles are compared to other things. That was a big learning experience for me. Um, but yeah, came out great. You know, the part of the batch that came out really well was awesome. I've experienced good health benefits from it. I think there's really something to that. I did a bunch of research, by the way, that I'm happy to share. Please do. And what do you mean? Did you say hydrophilic? Yes. What, just so if anyone doesn't have any idea what you're saying there, what does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, when you freeze dry something, you're, you are first freezing it, as the name implies, and then drying it. But it's not just freezing it and then drying it out on your counter. If you wanted to do that, you could just use a regular dehydrator. So the thing with freeze-drying is that it's, it's frozen to a really, really deep state, minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And that creates this really uniform crystalline structure that preserves the internal architecture at a molecular level of the nutrients. And then this machine has a really powerful vacuum pump, and it, it vacuums off all of the water or, that's in, or the, the uh, vapor inside the machine, and it slowly warms it up. And so the water goes from being solidized to being a gas without ever being in a liquid. Also known as sublime? Yeah, it's sublimation. Yeah, so it goes through the sublimation process, and that's how you dry it out. But when you take it out, some materials are so uh, strongly attracted to water that they will start to rehydrate even if it's in a sealed container. And the, so, for instance, liver is not like that. You can dehydrate. And I've done this numerous times. You can uh, freeze-dry liver, and it, it can just sit out the little cubes. You cube it up really small. They can just sit out in a you know, sealed container or even in an open container, and it won't attract water. At least in Colorado. At least in Colorado. Yeah, Fair yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, I've been in Kauai. It was right sure. <laughs> the bison testicles were not like that. There was something about the bison testicles, I think Chinese medicine would call it a very yin component, that just attracts water like nothing I've ever seen. And the bison testicles um, attracted, I mean, they started to actually expand even in a sealed jar with, with attracting air, uh, the water out of the air. 
attracting water like nothing you've ever seen. Okay, that's just an interesting metaphor mm-hmm. if we're if we're in the Avatar, the Last Airbender. <laughs> I'm like, when I took those, I I don't know if you had a similar response or not, but when I took those, I was um, seemingly attracting women. Mm. And uh, a, I would say guys that had a lot, a lot of testosterone, mm, mm-hmm. and and not always the best ways. I, I and I I was almost thinking like this is like magic, like <laughs> like this is actually dangerous. Like uh, you, this is a risk in a way. You like I got I, I got to be prepared when I'm taking these. I almost started, I don't know I was getting a little heady about it. It was getting old, but this there were some things that were happening that were crazy. So is it a possibility that this attracting to water, like a substance you've never seen? Is there? Do you have anything to say about connecting those ideas? Yeah. Well, you know, when we, when we talk about Taoism and Chinese medicine, the way that we understand what an herb does, let's say, it, we look at its structure and its color and how it behaves, you know, its physical characteristics. It's called the doctrine of signatures. And it's this idea of, well, I'll give you an example, is that there is a, an herb called forsythia, and it makes a hard little seed pod that looks like the chambers of a heart. And it's really useful for treating things like myocarditis, which is inflammation in the heart. It's a, it's a very strongly cooling medicinal herb. It's got powerful antioxidants, kind of like berberine. They're in that same class as berberine. And so we can see from this material structure that it has a certain function. And so I think what we're observing with the, the testicles is that the, the testicle material just wants to expand. It wants to attract life. It, it is life force. It is really the, the concentrated life force of the bison. And it's, you know, it has its essence. And I don't know if you noticed this when we were in my kitchen together cutting up those, uh, those uh, raw testicles that, that it just had the, this unmistakable animal odor. It was like, the distilled essence, right, of a bison. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason I have about 13 or 14 in my freezer right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm amazed, actually. I mean, I'm amazed by the liver. I'm amazed by the testicles. I'm amazed by the heart. You mentioned that uh, herb for the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, uh, I would say, a previous podcast guest, Dr. Jack Wolfson, who's a cardiologist. He has, he has a book called Paleo Cardiologist. Mm-hmm. He sells tribe vitamins to his customers. Yeah, that's awesome. And he wants other organs as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the heart? Do you have anything to say about the heart as an yeah. organ to eat? So the heart is incredibly rich in coenzyme Q10. Mm-hmm. And coenzyme Q10 is a very important cofactor for energy production. It is like nitro fuel for our mitochondria. And most people don't get very much of this stuff in their diet. Most people are deficient in it because people don't need organs. There's a, there's a, a sum in liver, but the heart has a density of mitochondria unlike any other organ. And you can't get it when you cook it. It denatures it. it that, that compound breaks down. Mm, I looked it up at one point. I looked at the, I looked at the number... When we had bison heart for sale, and we might have it again, but that people were really liking it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like this makes it makes sense with the little data that I gathered. Yeah, for sure. Before I had a freeze dryer, my preferred way to, to eat heart was to make jerky out of it. Okay. And, and, and that's also raw and it's dried. You know, I don't know if it preserves, I know for a fact it doesn't preserve the same nutrients in the same way as freeze drying does, but you can still get a pretty strong CoQ10 boost from, um, heart jerky and it's delicious too like if you slice it against the grain and really thin 
and dry it out, it just melts in your mouth. It's like the best jerky. Do you think um, you mentioned like this crystallization of the freeze drying process and mm-hmm. kind of like the enthusiasm around it? And I know you have one and you use it. Is there a chance that like when I eat the even raw testicle, just raw, wet, <laughs> like nothing versus the freeze dried powder, somehow mm-hmm. I just wonder if the freeze dried powder has a more like drug like effect. That's a good question. I think it would probably come from the micronization. The fact that we have to, once we freeze dry it, it has to be ground very finely in order to encapsulate it. Yeah. And so I think that encapsulation increases the surface area, which then increases absorption. And so you're probably getting a, a, bent, a more um, complete and maybe a more rapid absorption of those nutrients rapid. in the small intestine. Rapid might be the key or something there. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to claim. I, I'm, I'm a, I love things in their natural state. Yeah. But I have been pretty enthralled by the freeze drying. Yeah. It's a cool process. How is this? Is this stuff getting more potent? I understand it is per capita in a way because all the water is being drawn out or sublimed out. Totally. Some things are just amazing when you freeze dry them. Like when you freeze dry a watermelon, it comes out almost like this delicate foam that just crumbles when you touch it. (laughs) It's amazing. It's utterly amazing to freeze dry watermelon. Well, I love watermelon, uh, Georgia. I feel like Georgia has the best things in Georgia. Since you see it, you're like a, you, I imagine you do a lot of research. Like you're a maven yeah. of sorts, if that's the proper terminology. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty amazed by like how we've talked about like 33 different amazing <laughs> topics. I'm like, uh. I do love to do research. I think uh, you know, I was a, I was a bit uh, ADD as a kid, but I could just dive into these flow states of reading and learning. It's kind of my happy place, if you will. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually something I've had to kind of rein in and working on some of these projects. I'll, I'll come across something that fascinates me and I'll dive in and go down a rabbit hole. And six hours later, I'll come out and I'll learn all these new things. But my other projects only move forward about that much. You know, a Interesting. Of, but um, yeah, it's definitely an asset. And it's definitely something that's helped me as an instructor and as a, as a teacher and coach and as a, as a practitioner as well. Well, uh, one thing you mentioned off before we did this, I don't know, like I think it was a voice note or something <laughs> or a phone call. Yeah, I, I was telling you, since you mentioned you read books or you can go into those rabbit holes, I mentioned I just finished 1984 from George Orwell. And you, yeah. I think you said something like, yeah, some people mistook that for a, a guidebook or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there seems to be a lot of that. Yep. What do you, I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are. How does 1984, the book, George Orwell, connect to what we are experiencing with modern day uh, COVID protocols and beyond? Yeah, great question. Well, first I'll say that it's been since junior high that I've read 1984. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have a really strong fluency with that material. And I remember some books really well. That one, I just remember the general emotional tone of the book and I've read some more recent synopses of the book to refresh my memory. But, you know, the the crux of that book is that there are um, powers that be, let's say, large multinational corporations and organizations primarily that have a very skewed incentive structure. And they're just performing to their incentives. They are built for profit and they're built for profit above all else. And so they are using all of their available tools to maximize their profit. And, and really, if you look at what's happening in the pharmaceutical industry, big pharma is driving all of this. But, and this is, in, in my view, what's happening today is the last gasp 
of a dying pharmaceutical industry. And I have some visibility to this because in my hemp and cannabis consulting, I worked very closely with a man who was uh, a former uh, high up. He was a vice president of a major pharmaceutical company. And he left pharmaceuticals and worked in hemp and cannabis. He eventually left that too. He was just kind of a strange guy. I like to say that pharma people are going to do pharma stuff. Not all of them. There's some good people and then there are people leaving that field. But the crux of it is that uh, all of the cheap and easy to develop drugs have already been developed. Drug development is, uh, it's a field where there are thousands of people who work in drug development and most of them never have a major hit. Most of them work on drugs that go nowhere. Hmm. And U.S. drug policy is such that in order to patent a drug, well, first of all, you have to patent it in order to make money on it. That's why there's no money in natural medicines because they can't patent them. Hmm. And they need a patent because they need to be able to monopolize the market for a while hmm. to recoup their R&D investment, which is hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Huge, huge, huge R&D budgets. And so U.S. drug policy says that in order to have a patent, you need to make a novel molecule via a novel process, or ideally both. And organic chemistry has been around for not that long, but it's been around long enough so that all of the easy-to-develop drugs have been developed. And all of the remaining drugs are really hard to develop. All the low-hanging fruit has been plucked. And so for years before COVID, the drug industry, they were going downhill, man. Like the heyday of the drug industry was probably in the 80s or the 90s. There was, they had huge budgets. The, the cash was just flowing. There was lots of blockbuster drugs. But the, so my dad owned pharmacies in Miami. Ah, uh, interesting. During that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you have a lot to say on that. So, um, so what's happened is that the drug industry has really had to tighten their belt. And far, you know, pharma, you know, they're, they're, uh, they don't have the unlimited expense accounts that they once used to have. And, and they're spending more and more on research and development for smaller and smaller returns. And so when COVID came around, it was almost like, almost like <laughs> a purpose-built <laughs> problem for them to solve with new drugs. And so they're going about every, they're using every tool in their arsenal, which is to influence all these government agencies to mandate these vaccines for, for employers, for, for college kids, now even for school children perhaps, because that's what they know how to do. And those are the levers of the machine that they know how to pull. And so they're doing that. It's almost like a drug company is this faceless hydra that doesn't have a head, but it has a billion arms. And those arms are, are all coordinating for only one purpose, and that's for profit. And so they're just pulling all these leg, le, uh, le, regulatory levers in order to basically cram down our throats this... Uh, these mRNA vaccines, which we know are terrible. They're horrible products. They're, they're very poorly um, tested. They're, uh, they were rushed through, you know, the uh, Operation Warp Speed, and they haven't had the time that they need to really suss them out. And if they followed the normal protocol before COVID, none of these products would have been approved. They had to have the emergency authorization to approve them, and it's they're violating more rules and laws by the day than you can even count. Hmm. It's like that quote from Apocalypse Now, one of my favorite movies. Was, uh, do you remember that movie? I, I might need to rewatch it. Uh, you I might need to rewatch it. Yeah. That and The Matrix. The there's, Matrix, yeah. There's this quote. It's uh, the, the, the main character is in this hotel room in Saigon. He's talking about the Vietnam War. And that's kind of like what we're in right now in a way because the Vietnam War was surrounded by bullshit. It was surrounded by propaganda, 
it was surrounded by the government lying to the public and the, you know the, it was just the, the whole deep state all the bullshit that we see now is just the same as back then it's like more things change the more they stay the same but this character was uh, in this hotel room in Vietnam and he says you know the bullshit piles up in Vietnam so fast that you need a helicopter to stay above it hmm. and that's kind of what we're where we're at hmm. Hmm. i hope that wasn't too blunt for your listeners oh no no i think <laughs> that's uh well i might <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I think that was a great summary. Great summary. <laughs> great. Um, Get me going, Daniel. Watch out, man. <laughs> okay. So do you think the, uh, what, how the social ramifications of this mm. uh, for-profit <laughs> faceless Hydra that is just going for whatever it will get, which is probably a pretty good picture to paint. That's maybe, I, I, I don't know what to call it exactly that's doing this. I think Napoleon Hill from Outwitting the Devil would call it the devil, or the Bible would call it the devil. Yeah. Or yeah. probably a lot of religious books would. Yeah. Um, but whatever that is, um, are the social ramifications part of the plan or like an accidental, um, and do you think there are social ramifications going on? 100%, man. There's the anxiety and depression are off the charts right now, and it's hitting kids the hardest. You know, the children are having a mental health crisis right now in this country, and it's, it is, it's sad to see. You know, I think we're going to see a generation that's, that will have to come to grips with it in their adulthood, they're going to have to go through the process of recovering from trauma because that's what's happening. We are traumatizing American school children and American adults for that matter. But school children have less ability to adapt to trauma. They have a limited tool set and they rely upon the adults, the adults around them to help them adapt to the trauma. And that's not happening or it's not happening enough. And when you say they're being traumatized, how are they being traumatized? Well, they're being forced to wear masks in school. They're being forced to socially distance from their peers. They're not able to have the normal childhood experiences that most children have in previous generations of you know, running around and playing outside and not worrying about catching I'm some disease. I'm guessing of all generations, right? I mean, I guess there's been like little moments like Spanish flu and stuff where there were generations of people that were scared of each other and they wore masks, or is that... Yeah, I mean, or how new is this of yeah. all? It's just like this is crazy. Sure, there. I agree. I'm just, I'm just wondering what you think because I know you think a lot. Yeah, there, there have been times in history that have been like this for sure. The Spanish flu, and really, you go back to the Black Plague in in Europe in the Middle Ages, and that was a dark time. I mean, what we're experiencing now, I mean, it has a 99.9 something survival rate, right? Or at least over 99 percent for for most populations and most groups. You know, this is really by most calculation's not really a true pandemic because it's so it's not affecting that many people but what's affecting people are the lockdowns and the social distancing and the masks and the forced vaccinations and the economic fallout so meaning like the cure is worse than the disease 100% that was planned 100% <laughs> the cure is far worse than the disease and you know that's that is par for the course in western medicine it's what we call iatrogenesis. And the word iatrogenesis means a disease caused by a physician. And Western medicine, Western mainstream medicine is common. Iatrogenesis is very common. There are so many drug side effects. There are many deaths, about 100,000 deaths a year from properly prescribed drugs, probably another 100,000 a year from improperly prescribed drugs. There's surgical errors. There's, you know, all sorts of 
deaths and problems come out of the mainstream medical industry. And where you see this, Daniel, is, is really telling is, for example, in Israel, several times over the last 30 years, doctors have gone on strike. And the fascinating thing that happens when the doctors have gone on strike in Israel is the death rate actually goes down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people are having fewer problems from iatrogenesis. Well, you mentioned anti-fragile, but um, that's a, have you read that book or listened to that book? I have. I am a, I am a student of Nassim Taleb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the things I remember about that part with the book, that I don't think I've actually finished it fully. I do remember like a chapter around where he's saying the best way to kill someone is to give them like a lifetime doctor. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah, he has a great chapter on iatrogenesis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's uh, noteworthy. It is very noteworthy, absolutely. I'm not saying that I would. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about the whole thing. But I remember being struck struck by the uh, the notion, mm-hmm. and I think it's a good thing for us to consider, especially when you look at uh, t- if anyone watches TV, which I haven't watched like TV in a while. But whenever I do, it seems to be fully loaded with these pharmaceutical commercials. Oh yeah, they give disclaimers too. They give yeah. disclaimers. Yeah, you know that which was really interesting. It was actually illegal. I don't remember when it was made legal again. I think maybe in the 80s. But prior to some point in the fairly recent history, it was illegal to advertise drugs on TV. And they lobbied hard, boy. They bought themselves some congressmen. And they were able to loosen that restriction. And now we see, you know, every other... I don't watch TV either, but I was sent a compilation from a a friend of mine of all of these different mainstream news programs on every major network saying that they're sponsored by Pfizer. Hmm. <laughs> wow, wow. That's such a, so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and let me say also, Daniel, I don't hate Western medicine. I, I appreciate it for what it's done. There have been some really important advances that have come from Western medicine. We have the best trauma care system on the planet. If you are in a car accident, if you have acute trauma, a gunshot wound, a fracture, any kind of acute injury, there's no better place to be than a level one trauma ward in the United States of America. You know, and we, look, we can see this on the battlefield. I mean, the soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq suffered injuries that would have killed people in any other war. And they were able to bring those young men back and save their lives through very, very advanced trauma medicine. But it's terrible, horrible, abysmal at taking care of people's health on a day-to-day level. And it's because, as you and I have talked about several times, it doesn't address our, our genealogy, our ancestry. It's we are living in a society that has a massive evolutionary mismatch between what our genes are evolved for, the conditions of our optimal thriving given to us by evolution over millions of years. It's mismatched with our environment. We didn't evolve with all this stuff. We didn't evolve with processed food. We didn't evolve sitting on our asses 18 hours a day, commuting, artificial light, all this crazy, you know, food stuff, all the, it's, we live in a, in a totally different environment. We might as well be living on the moon compared to the environment that our ancient ancestors lived on, lived in, Hmm. you know, and modern medicine hasn't recognized that they don't see the forest for the trees. They only see back about five years. They don't actually go back to what our grandparents were doing and eating and the way that they were living. And, uh, and they're just stuck in the moment. And Nassim Taleb calls this neophilia, which is the love of all things new, which it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Neophilia is actually a pathology because it refuses to recognize that there are beneficial things that come from our past. 
Well, um, on that note, the, <laughs> the recent medicine and this idea of FDA approval, mm -hmm. and then you mentioned all these drugs that are potentially um, much more dangerous for people, and even the fatality rate mm -hmm. uh, compared to something like a raw milk that's not FDA approved. Mm -hmm. And I thought that could be a good way to also mention Golden Hoof. Yeah, <laughs> which absolutely. I think is actually sold. They like they're closing down for memberships. From oh, was that right? Yeah, she says like, she doesn't want to get. Um, she doesn't want to have customers that don't have food. Wow. And I guess they're having a lot of interest. Wow. Great. Well, <laughs> we will give our thanks and our gratitude to the family that runs Golden Hoof. Oh, yeah. I want to get her on the podcast, actually. Yeah. She's, can't wait. Yeah. She's supposed to be on here. But she's, you know, she's like a, she like works all day. She works all the time. Man. I mean, that's yeah. as, most, as most farmers and ranchers that mm -hmm. I know, it's like, uh, they, they're like working all day, actually. Yeah. They're 24-7. <laughs> yeah. You probably have to go out there and interview her on the back of the horse. Guess, yeah, that <laughs> might be the call, actually. <laughs> or in the loafing shed while she's, uh, you know, giving birth to more cows or something. <laughs> yeah. So, what, what? I mean, I just, I, I've seen this meme floating around in one of my previous guests, Josh Rainier-Gold. We talked about some of these things. And he, I think he had shared this idea of how, like, these certain drugs that are FDA approved kill these many thousands of people. Yeah. And raw milk is not FDA approved. Correct. Yeah. And I think so you want to expound upon that. I'm curious because it's a fun thread. Yeah, it is. Well, if we really take the uh, satellite view, if we zoom out as far as possible, we can see that um, almost everything we've been told about health from the FDA and the USDA is a lie. And and I, I don't think they're, I mean, they're definitely doing it on purpose, but I don't think that they're, they're really understand the, the harm that they're causing. But I'll just give you a few examples. For example, salt, right? Salt in most people doesn't cause high blood pressure. There's a small subset of people, less than 15% of the population, maybe even less than 10, have a genetic sense, sensitivity to sodium, which causes their blood pressure to rise. Most people actually benefit from more salt in their diet. There's an epidemic of people walking around out there without enough minerals in their body, and you get good quality minerals from a good quality, uh, you know, unrefined sea salt. You know, saturated fat. We could go on and on. So basically, I'm, I'm of mind today that whatever the health authorities in Washington, D.C. tell you, if you didn't know anything else about health, just do the opposite. You know, they lie to us about the sun. Most people are massively vitamin D deficient. And in fact, some skin cancers are driven by a vitamin D deficiency. So uh, meat, we've been told that meat, is, meat will kill you. But when you look at the studies, like the big Harvard diet study, they considered pepperoni pizza to be a meat. They put it in the meat category. Yeah, and it's interesting, like meat, you know, the more I've gone down the meat trail, mm -hmm. um, which now leaves me with a refrigerator full of... Um, bison hearts and testicles and <laughs> usually bone broth and raw milk. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there is something to be said. It's very different eating a raw bison heart sashimi versus mm. going to the grocery store and getting, uh, let's, just say, let's just say the worst of the worst, grain-fed cow or, mm. or farmed fish. Mm -hmm. It's like, are they, do they spray those things, first of all? Sometimes do they spray those? How long... What ha is it? And then overcooking that meat. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is dangerous. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they spray them. Well, no, actually, I actually can say that wild, uh, excuse me, uh, farmed salmon, um, they use some kind of a dye on it. I don't know how that dye gets in there, if it's yeah. sprayed or if it's soaked. But, but farmed salmon isn't that pretty pink color. 
Hmm. That pretty pink color comes from some kind of dye that they use. And supermarket beef, they use carbon monoxide. They do. This is pretty, yeah. Yeah. And, and is they, this like even Whole Foods? Like, do you know, like, does Whole uh, Foods do that? That's a good question. <laughs> like, I don't know. They probably gosh. wouldn't admit to it, even if they, they probably did. wouldn't like me asking that question. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, and then and then the way people what they can do to their meat and overcook it, it is it's just like there takes some wisdom that I think is forgotten through this like domestication of education and this civilization and mm. and that's why I love Golden Hoof. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're doing all their grow, their harvest, they're allowing the animals to thrive. They're harvesting the animals, yeah. and then they're packaging the animals, and we can buy them from them. Yeah. Well, you look, there is some risk. Right. There's some risk from eating um, raw meat. There's some risk from eating raw milk. And in years past, let's say pre-18, what was the, when the germ theory really became relevant, you know, Louis Pasteur. Before Louis Pasteur came around, I think he was like 1860, 1870, something like that. There weren't very good hygiene practices, right? And and people didn't wash their hands before they cut up meat in the butchery sh- in the butcher shop. They didn't wear yeah, gloves much that's less, a right? Situation. And so no. you know, people had Pooping this this idea that it, which was a, a a pretty solid idea that if you you know if you ate something that was undercooked, it was more likely that you were going to get some kind of a GI upset, like food poisoning. And in eras before modern medicine, people died from that. People died from diarrhea. Dehydrates you really quick. So. I kind of see that, but what we've done in America since then, and in most of the industrialized world and much of the world period, is we've modernized uh, food processing and the food supply. And even in some place like Golden Hoof, it's very safe because people keep it clean. And so the risk has greatly been reduced of catching some kind of foodborne illness just by the practices of keeping the surfaces clean, washing your hands. And so the risk is really low. And so our whole system is built on this risk reduction that was based on the, the risks of an earlier era. Hmm. Good, good point. Sun, salt, meat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's make sure. I want to make, I want to, I want to leave understanding and I want to leave these headphones understanding, um, what this new adventure you are doing. Ah, about. yes. Yeah. So this is a really fun one. So like I said, I spent the last five years, really digging deep into cannabis and hemp. I've had consulting clients all over the world. I literally got to circumnavigate the globe on, on one consulting trip. Uh, I've worked in Asia. I've worked in Europe, all over the U.S., Mexico, working with hemp and cannabis companies to optimize their, their process flow, to optimize extraction, every, everything from the soil they use, the genetics of plants they're growing, the process of growing it, harvesting, drying, curing, extraction. Then we would, go, we would work on their go-to-market strategies. We'd help them define the market. We'd help them, you know, really everything from beginning to end to final consumer. I worked with a great group of people, had a really solid business, and and the pandemic took that away, unfortunately. But in many ways, it's a gift. And I want to get into the gift, too. There's another gift in the pandemic and all this craziness, and I want to end on that as well. Yeah, 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 please do. And, um, And so I've really spent a lot of time digging into the endocannabinoid system, reading through the scientific literature, looking at case reports, and treating clients. I still have an active clinical practice, and I've been treating people with cannabinoids for over five years. Uh, started off, actually, long before that with my brother, who was a medical marijuana uh, grower and an advocate, and so I helped him with dosing. Where did he do that? He grew it. 
Where? Where I'm saying? Like in what state? Oh, here. Here in Colorado. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Does he still live here in Colorado? Yes, he does. Awesome. Yeah, both mm-hmm. my brothers are here. Shout out to my boys. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, me too. What's up, boys? <laughs> what a thought. The There's younger sim- brothers. The similarities. Yeah, it's outstanding. So, And by the way, before I because I could forget to ask this, mm. the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. You know, like we have our um, cardiovascular system that yes. I can somewhat see in my veins mm-hmm. and I can uh, feel it in my heart. Yeah. You know, you have the respiratory system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the endo? Like for someone that, like, just imagine, imagine a, just a, out, a, a Wyoming old dad rancher like i know cannabinoid what you tell me yeah so it's fascinating daniel it's really really amazing this in my mind the the understandings that we're now seeing about the endocannabinoid system are the most important medical breakthrough in a couple generations and so it all started in israel uh rafael mccullum developed or the technology to characterize thc he was the first guy to discover the thc molecule he was the first guy to figure out what gets you high so he, he figured out the shape and structure of the THC molecule. And then he went on to do it with CBD. And, he, and on and on and on. And Raphael McCoolum, we owe this man. He's just the, the godfather of all things <laughs> cannabis. And he's in his 80s now. He's prolific. He writes and publishes and research. And he's got a company. And amazing man. Oh, really? Where does he live? Do you know what he's up to? He's in Israel, uh, outside Tel Aviv somewhere. Nice. I, the consulting company that I worked for as a contractor um, had some dealings with them, and they're just so professional, amazing people, but I digress. Um, the endocannabinoid system, it, it has two facets, and it's Chinese medicine, I'll use the yin and yang, right? It's got a very active and a more passive side. And so the active side is anandamide. That's the molecule in our body that codes for bliss. And ananda is an, a Sanskrit word that means bliss. And so I call it the bliss system, because that's what it is. And, and we have a receptor, it's the CB1 receptor, that receives the anandamide molecule and it sets off a chain reaction that makes us feel really good. And we get this bliss. Actually, this is the most amazing thing. In 2015, we figured out that the runner's high does not come from endorphins because endorphins don't cross the blood-brain barrier or they they cross it very poorly. The runner's high comes from anandamide. It comes from the endocannabinoid system. And so we can think about the rest of our nervous system. You know, we have all these other neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine that make us feel good, right? Those are the feel-good molecules. Dopamine is, it makes you feel kind of an ecstasy. Serotonin, many of those receptors come from the gut. We have 100 million neurons in our gut. Many of them are serotonin receptors. And when you eat a good meal, you feel satisfied. That's serotonin. Those systems are controlled at a higher level by anandamide. And the interesting thing is... um, those other molecules that I mentioned, there's many, many more. I'm kind of oversimplifying it because you know, we're on a podcast. But um, dopamine has an area in the brain called the substantia nigra where dopamine is made and stored. Serotonin has all these receptors in the gut where serotonin is made and stored. Anandamide is everywhere. And it's synthesized postsynaptically. So what that means is that every cell in the body under the right conditions can make and release anandamide, which makes us feel good. It's part of our natural reward system. It's the part of our system that shows us we're on the right track. When you're, when you're doing something, you're feeling really on purpose, when you're really mm-hmm. jazzed about something like your podcast, or you know, you're in a good relationship, you, you get a good workout in, you go for a great hike, you see a sunset, you get this anandamide. And that's created through the endocannabinoid system? That's, that is the heart of the endocannabinoid system, the okay. yang side, the more active side. Okay. Then... There's the yin side, and that's inflammation. That's where CBD comes in. 
So we have this other molecule called 2-arachidonyl glycerol, and it's a thousand times more prevalent in the body than anandamide. But we don't feel it because what it's doing is modulating inflammation. And it come, this comes into diet, becomes really, really important here because it's synthesized from an a unsaturated fat. Arachidonic acid is an unsaturated fat which we're not really evolved to eat very much of. We don't need very much of it on diet. Contrary to what Big Pharma wants us to think and the companies that grow it at mass scale with all the corn oil and canola oil and all the other bullshit, the, this molecule, we call it 2-AG for short, is released when inflammation levels start to get high because it quells inflammation. Or it's released when we have rising levels of arachidonic acid which come from our, the non-beneficial fats, the more pro-inflammatory fats. So it's a check and balance system on the, infl on the inflammation. And most people that are walking around today have significant dysfunction in either one side or both sides of the endocannabinoid system. And so this course that I've developed is for practitioners, but it really for anyone who wants to take it, anyone who works in hemp or cannabis, anyone who sees patients who works with cannabis, it's a great class for nutritionists, chiropractors, acupuncturists. Um, I've had some physicians in my former classes on this. I've taught a few other classes like this before. This is the most comprehensive training I've ever offered on the endocannabinoid system. And, um, and so I'm teaching people how to modulate the endocannabinoid system with hemp, uh, CBD, THC, all the other endocannabinoids. There's CBG, there's CBC, there's CBN, there's the terpenes, there's the polyphenols. There's so many molecules, over 100 different molecules in cannabis and hemp that make it beneficial. So I'm teaching people how to use that. And then there's the other plants. So for example, we have um, the TRVP receptors, which is part of our pain control mechanism. And it's the mechanism that makes cayenne pepper work. So people know that cayenne pepper can actually relieve pain. You might put a you know, spicy balm on a sports injury and it helps relieve the pain. It burns on your skin for a minute, but it makes the, the injury feel better. That's happening through the endocannabinoid system, through this TRV transient, uh, transient voltage-regulated potential gate. Uh, it's a specific type of receptor that's in the endocannabinoid system. And there's dozens of others. We go through all that. And then we go through how to actually use that to build a practice, to teach people how to build a business around, or if they're a hemp company, how to build a business around helping people understand the endocannabinoid system. Because here's another problem with the FDA. Nobody can talk about it, right? Even for you, as the uh, owner and proprietor of Trivitamins, you cannot make them a health claim. Yeah. Like if, just, you, if you were I to tell talk people, about what people I hear, I hear. Right. And, and this is, so this is an educational podcast. We're not talking about it. You're not wearing that hat as the Tribe Vitamins founder. But if on your packaging of Tribe Vitamins, you were to say, oh, yeah. or on, on your website, you were to say, Tribe Vitamins, um, you know, can cure something, right? Like yeah. Tribe Vitamins for sure, it could, it could cure a, a B vitamin deficiency, right? So like, for example, Pellagra. Good argument. I'd be like, good argument. <laughs> uh, Pellagra is a named health condition. Right? Okay. It's caused by a B vitamin deficiency, and you could treat it with trivitamins. But you can't say that on your website. Yeah, I don't. We don't. You would get a nasty letter from the FDA, and if you didn't do anything, 30 days later, the U.S. Marshals would come knocking down your door wearing their assault gear because they're the enforcement arm of the FDA, right? Mm -hmm. And the hemp companies are under the same, the same problem. Mm -hmm. With hemp, you can treat uh, anxiety, depression. You can treat all these different medical problems, named health conditions, but they can't talk about it in public. So one of the solutions that we've developed for this is that we teach people how to, to talk about hemp and cannabis in one-on-one -on -one conversations like this 
in a free 15-minute consultation. Same thing I do for my acupuncture practice. If somebody wants to come to me for acupuncture or an herbal consultation, I will have a 15 to 30-minute consultation with them to see if it's a fit. And I can talk with them, I can educate them, and I have complete free speech. And every company on the planet has that so long as that relationship takes place between a clinician and the client. Hmm. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm helping to open up free speech for practitioners and for companies. And uh, you can learn about it at blisspractitioners.com. That's a good name. I like the name, <laughs> Bliss Practitioners. Yeah. I feel the stoke about it, too. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I've been working on it for a while. This has been about a four or five-year project to get it all together. And now it's, it's really uh, bearing fruit. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, is there anything else you want to make sure that we talk about that we may have not? Well, you know, the last thing I think where I want to end, I know with the conversation about COVID and all of the social things, and the political things and the mandates, it can be depressing for people. And I have to admit, I really got caught up in that. And, you know, last year... I, and, you know, just if someone might be able to relate to that. If, you, if you're a Netflix watcher, which I know a lot of people are, including mm -hmm. myself sometimes, imagine if someone just picked, like, horror movies all the time. Yeah. They're probably going to see scarier things. If, yeah. Imagine if someone just only watches comedies. They're yeah. probably, their life might be a little funnier. Absolutely. So, yeah, I just want to also real, us to help us realize that or think about that or consider yeah. that. Is there, like, this doom and gloom being so evangelized that yeah. that's how, like, vi mind viruses work? It's, I call it doom scrolling. And that's what would happen to me. And you might know this. I was involved in COVID testing. From August of last year till November of last year, I ran a COVID testing station. I did wow, testing for, that's actually how Anne-Marie and I know each other. Oh, that, wow. And wow, so I saw wow. the inside, man. I saw how the sausage is being made. And I can tell you, it's not nearly as certain and as scientific and laid out linearly oh, as we think. I bet. I and so through that experience, it, it kind of got to me. That's why I left it. I left that field because I, I, I couldn't stomach all the things that I saw that were happening and all the chaos and the uncertainty. And the kind of, I hate to say it, but lying. And so I stepped back and I went back to my roots, which is, which is just teaching and practicing. But what's happened, what I've noticed over the last, um, really this year in 2021, is that people are starting to wake up. People are waking up to how important their health is, how important their relationships are. I mean, if you're going to be in lockdown with your family, it's going to show you any relationship problems you have. Right? Big time blessing. I would say of this thing. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm getting at is that there's massive blessings here. And, and I really want people to see that and focus on that. And we need to focus on that being the light and creating the future world that we want to live in. Because if it's up to the bureaucrats, we're going to be, you know, we're going to have a, an ID chip on your wrist that has your COVID vaccination status. And you're going to have to get a, a what do you call it? A, a booster shot every six months, Right. But we don't have to live in that world, and we can create a world that is an alternative to that, that's outside of that system. And there will be people in that system uh, for as long as that system lasts, but I think we can all see it, that that's all crumbling. And so we now need to be creating the future, the world we want to live in with healthy relationships, clean water, uh, healthy, ancestrally appropriate food, and, uh, and it's difficult for sure, but optimism is definitely the way forward, and I'm just here to you know, leave people with that message that, you know, it might, might seem dark sometimes, but if you look for the light, you will find it. 
Amen. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was today on my Audible, I was like scrolling through books because I've been listening to a lot of ones that are like, wow, this is like like 1984 and then A Brave New World. And I'm like, this is getting like too similar. I don't mm. even, I'm starting to wonder what's real or not. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing. Like, I want some optimism. And I, I remember I was searching Joel Osteen. Osteen, mm. have you ever heard of him? No. He's like a, controversial for sure because i think he's really wealthy mm, but okay. like this super motivational pastor out of houston oh, texas I yeah think. yeah okay okay and i i had a feeling he would have some good books i just like started sampling some of them like man this is like a drug actually this it really is the optimism it's like yeah yeah like man george orwell i don't want to be in denial thank you george yeah but i, I don't know if i can do back to back to back to all these like crazy as scenarios reminding me of what might be happening if I choose not to, to be optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I still think it's important to stay informed and yeah. to speak out and to write to our oh, yeah. elected representatives and to talk with our neighbors and, and really get people on board with the optimism train and realize that this is something we can get through and we can create a better society for ourselves and our, our children and grandchildren. But it's going to take the optimism and it's going to take action. Optimism and action. Yeah, buddy. Ain't that the, if you, you know, you're going to make a cap, if I'm going to encapsulate something, I might as well <laughs> encapsulate optimism and action. That's what we're here for, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Say that website one more time in case anyone wants to get in touch or it's, how do they get in touch? Yeah, that's the best way it's got. You can go to blisspractitioners.com. It's uh, I did a site upgrade today, so it may not be live at the time of the recording, but by the time this goes live, it should be up and working and it'll have links to all my social uh, there's a way to get in touch with me there if people want to book a session if they are interested in cannabinoid therapies either as a patient or a practitioner they can schedule on my calendarly link there and uh, they can find out all the other inf important information there oh, and then what's uh to before we say goodbye here mm. what's your favorite way that you partner with cannabis or hemp and or hemp these days yeah so uh, I've got a guy here in Boulder who uses a process that I helped develop. Um, he actually developed his independently, but then we came, kind of came together and had a meeting of the minds. There's another company as well uh, out in... Seems like um, a lot of people in Boulder. Yeah, this is a center for it, for sure. But also in North Carolina. I've got a, a, a couple partner companies in North Carolina. Um, regardless of where you get your hemp and CBD, look for whole plant, full spectrum extracts. It should look and smell and taste, not look like flour, but it, it should be green, preferably like a dark green and emerald color, and smell like high-grade cannabis and taste hempy. It should taste like you're eating liquefied hemp. And those, they may not taste good, but those are the most effective products. I've seen amazing things happen clinically for people when they use these products at the appropriate dose over time. Uh, I've seen incredible things. You know, it helps people with diabetes. It helps people with chronic pain anxiety, depression, I mean, many, many, many chronic disorders that people are taking all these crazy pharma meds for, they can, if they choose, and then people need to choose this for themselves, they can get off those meds and heal with real plant medicine. And it's a gateway drug. You know, Joe Biden is famous for saying years ago, he said that he, he didn't like marijuana because it's a gateway drug. And you know, in a strange way, he's right, because it was marijuana when I was about 19 that opened my eyes to how powerful plant medicine could be. And people start with cannabis and pretty soon they're taking ashwagandha, they're taking tri-vitamins, they're taking some uh, rhodiola, they're taking, you know, wheatgrass, you know, anything where there's concentrated nutrition, whether it's from a plant or an animal. And oftentimes for people, their first red pill out of the matrix is with God's 
jade buds of holy hemp. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I remember the first time for me smoking a little, little <laughs> sacred herb, a little ganja in a, in Amsterdam on my twenty second birthday. Oh wow, he did it legally. Oh yeah, <sighs> yeah, I did it that way. You were not quite the rule breaker you are now. Are <laughs> it's funny what rules I break. Uh, which yeah. ones I don't. It's yeah, they're just meant to be. They're just meant to be broken. But that bent. was a great way. That was a great gateway. I bet, I'll man. I bet that, the gates. There's some gates that open then for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, Luke. To Daniel. be continued. Yeah, to be continued. How Fantastic long do you think that was? Do you have a guess? Because I, I know you can't see the timer. No, no idea. Want to take a guess? Uh, hour and 15? 103. Oh, all right. Cool. Were we I with like your perfect fastball? I wonder if there'll be a fastball thrown that fast. <laughs> the World Series this year with the Atlanta Braves. I hope so, man. I'm just wondering if I played baseball with someone that's on that team right now. That brings up like like memories. I'm like, that might have, they're a little, <laughs> I have some baseball memories I could probably reflect on. Outstanding, man. <laughs> Go Braves. All right. All right keep breaking normal, y'all. Peace. <laughs>